What's up, guys? How's it going? Merry Christmas Eve. You guys excited for tomorrow? Yes, we are so excited. We're doing surf and turf. Get some tomahawk steaks, lobster tail. That's how we uh, celebrate Jesus right there with tomahawk steaks. Um, So glad you guys decided to join us uh, for our Christmas Eve service. Um, Such a special time. Christmas is is such a unique season, I feel that. Um, It's interesting that it's placed right before you enter the new year. And I think there's something really significant about that, that as we start into a new year, I think next, next week is Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve, that everyone is forced to think about Jesus. <laughs> that before we enter into a new year, as we close the chapter of this year, it's this beautiful transition of, hey, remember what matters most. Remember your Savior who came to bring redemption. And so today I want to specifically talk about the reason Jesus came. So I want you guys to stand. We're going to read Luke chapter 2. I want us to stand for the reading of the word. I want you guys just to soak in the scene and setting of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 14 says this. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken by Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. The shepherds and angels that night, there were shepherds staying in a field nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But their angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Amen. You guys can be seated. And so here we see the setting and scene surrounding the birth of our Messiah. And we see this unique convergence of strife, but also beauty, of darkness, but also light, of humanity, but also divinity. And the angels announce the good news that the Savior of all humanity has arrived. The Savior who has come to be the bridge between those things, taking our strife, our darkness, and our brokenness, and making a way for salvation. And I want you to think about, before this moment, there has been 400 years of silence. There was no prophets. 
There's no word of the Lord that before this moment, there were individual encounters, Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, but this was the first corporate encounter where God speaks. That for generations, they have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And in a moment, we see God speaks into the darkness and the silence and announces good news that the Savior, the Messiah, has arrived and has been born. And so for us to understand the reason Jesus came, we have to go to the beginning. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read verse 10 to 15. And as you guys know, God created humanity to live with him in the fullness of his presence. And as sin entered in, we see all of that start to dismantle. So this sets us up for Genesis 3, verse 10. It says this, then he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. This is Adam responding to God right after sin now has entered into the equation. He said, I heard you walking in the garden. Let's stop there. This shows us the level of access humanity had with God. I heard you walking in the garden. That Adam was in such close proximity to God that he could hear him walking. This was our design. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid, and I was afraid because I was naked. God says, who told you that you're naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. You immediately see, and as, as sin enters the picture, the dismantling of family starts to happen. Disunity starts to happen. Brokenness, broken relationships start to happen. So Eve said, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Verse 14, and the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Speaking to the serpent, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild, who crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. This is the key verse, 15. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so as I mentioned, Adam and Eve, God created the first humans designed to live in delight and peace and full access to God's presence. But as sin enters the picture, it distorted God's beautiful design. That delight then turned to shame. Peace turned into fear. Access to God turned into hiding from God. But this is where the whole narrative connects, is in verse 15. Read that again. God says this. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That even though sin entered the picture, God spoke hope of an offspring that would come to defeat the very thing that distorted his design. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. What is the offspring of the serpent? It's death. 
is brokenness. It's a dismantling of family. It's, it's evil. It's pain. It's fear. It's all these things. And God speaks out hope in the midst of a very, very dreary situation and says, there's going to be an offspring that is going to be born. And it may seem as if you're going to strike his heel, but in that, right, which is the cross, if you didn't connect this yet, that you will strike his heel, but in that striking, your head will be crushed. This is the promise that God speaks right at the beginning of the story. At the beginning of the story, there was hope. And the prophet Jeremiah, he reiterates this promise in Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6. He says this, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant, a righteous offspring from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. I love this. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. Can we say that? The Lord is our righteousness. And in that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. That the name of this king will be the Lord is our righteousness. This is his identity and this is it. This is why he came. It doesn't say just the Lord is righteous or the Lord has righteous deeds or the Lord is a righteous person. He, it, it, his identity is the fact that the Lord is our righteousness. His identity is the fact that who he is is an invitation. Who he is invites us into his righteousness. That's why he came. That he came to invite us into his righteousness and to become the bridge back into our original design. That righteousness simply means to be in right standing before God. Righteousness simply means to be in right standing before God. Who here has ever struggled with not feeling right with God? <laughs> all right, thank you for the honest people. We've all been there, we've all struggled with not feeling right with God, whether you're a Christian, even when you still are a Christian, right? This is a common thing that we wrestle with. Maybe it's because you sin, which is an obvious thing, or you, you committed something that you knew was wrong and, and you feel like you're, you're not in right standing with God anymore. Or maybe if you are a Christian and you're like, man, I, I, you know, I failed my, my Bible reading plan in a year on day three. We've been there. You know, we'll see. Next year, it's in a week, it's a buckle down, and go past day three. But we've been there, right? We're like, man, I'm gonna be consistent reading my Bible, I'm gonna journal every day. And we get to day three, and we're like, oh man, I was too busy. And if you feel I'm not in right standing with God anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? So this invitation that Jesus comes to bring in his arrival is to restore, listen, to restore that defect. That what, what would your life look like if you actually believed and thought 
pay attention, believed and thought in your mind and acted as if you're always in right standing with God? How would that actually motivate you to want to love others better? How would that actually motivate you to want to do your Bible reading plan, right? I can't wait to be close to the one that I'm right in right standing with. Guys, this is why the vast host of angel armies in Luke 2 are praising God. And they say this, glory to God in highest heavens and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Because the peace that was lost in the garden is finally being restored by the offspring God promised would come, the angels are praising. The angels are worshiping. They're glorifying God. The peace that was lost is being restored. Amen? And so this is why Jesus came through a virgin was because he could not come from the lineage of Adam. He came from a pure bloodline, not inheriting Adam's sin nature. We see this in Romans 5, verse 17 to 19. It says this, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Think about this. Through the sin of this one, man, this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gifts. Say gift. Merry Christmas. And his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness, which is him dying on the cross, brings a, here's the key, a right relationship with God and new life, say new life, for everyone. Read that again. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, this is Jesus on the cross, many will be made righteous. What does righteousness mean? To be in right standing with God. That through Adam's one sin, all of humanity has been introduced to this curse. The environment of sin has been spread to all of creation. But the promised offspring who's conceived by the Holy Spirit, not defiled by the nature of sin, came to offer us new life and a new identity. A.W. Tozer, he says, the only sin Jesus ever had was ours. And the only righteousness we can ever have is his. So how do we attain this gift? How do we attain this gift of right standing with God? This gift of righteousness that, as Romans says, allows us to live in triumph over sin and death. It tells us in verse 17. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive. Say receive. How do we receive this gift? We receive it in faith. That faith is the key 
to receiving this gift, not perfection, not striving to be good. It's only through faith. Okay, let's go back to Luke 2. Let's go back to the story. Luke 2, 13 to 14, it says this. As we read, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. They were saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is what? God is what? Please. So the angel announces peace is now on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Okay, let's connect the dots. Hebrews 11 tells us what pleases God. Hebrews 11 tells us what pleases God. Faith. It actually says verbatim, it's impossible to please God without faith. It is actually impossible for God to be pleased without faith. This is interesting. Let's go back to Bible reading plan. Day three. <laughs> God is not pleased by our perfection. God is not pleased by our striving. God is not pleased by our performance. God is not pleased by how good we do things. Now, those are important. I'm not saying just do whatever you want and just say you have faith in Jesus. But what I'm saying is the foundation that actually allows you to have peace the foundation that actually restores what was lost in the garden is faith. Because faith is what pleases God. That peace with God is only attained through faith in his son. Let me give you an example. I've given this before. Do you have any artists or creatives in the room? Any, any, any people who make things, craft things, whether you cook, make things with wood, whatever, you sing, you, you play instruments. I want to give you this example. As an artist, you are pleased with what you create when what you create embodies the original intent of your design. So every creative person, every person in this room, if you've created something, right? Let's say you wanted to cook a meal. Who's cooking tomorrow? Right, when you're cooking a meal, let's say, you know, let's, let's put the tomahawk steak out there. When I cook this tomahawk steak, my original intent is medium rare, right? Well done is burnt. Medium rare, this is, this is my, this is my original, this is my intent. When I'm gonna make this steak, my intent is for it to be medium rare. Now, if that steak is well done, am I going to be pleased with that steak? No. But if that steak is medium rare, am I going to be pleased with that steak? Why? Because that was the original intent for its design. That was the original intent in which I decided to make it. How does this all connect? God created every single one of you but you were born into a nature of sin because of through one man's sin, through one man's disobedience, all have been made sinners. God created every single one of you, but your design, listen, was distorted 
but when you put faith in his son who gives you a new identity of righteousness, God is pleased because just like an artist, you finally embody your original design. God always intended for you to live in a right standing with him. God didn't create you and say, I'm going to create you to suffer and then hopefully you find your way to me. Now, it may seem like that, but remember in the beginning, we see God's nature. That there's always a promise, even though we made a mistake. His promise was always, there's going to be restoration back into my presence. So God is pleased when we have faith. Our faith and our right standing with God is not based in what we do in our performance, but in his offspring, his son's performance. That is what pleases him. That you are now, if you've received Jesus, in right standing again. You're able to know him intimately, and now you are conforming into the image and likeness of his son. Guys, before life in Jesus, I want you to pay attention, sin was who you were. Before life in Jesus, sin was who you were. This was your identity. But through the sacrifice of Jesus, sin is no longer who you are. It's only what you do. Jesus came to change who you are because in changing who you are, you'll change what you do. That when you receive Jesus, you receive his identity. He has given you his nature. That your default is no longer sin, it's righteousness. That you are no longer separated from God based on your performance, but you're made right eternally based on Jesus' performance on the cross. That Jesus came to reverse every piece of brokenness and separation as a result of the fall. Guys, this is the good news of Jesus' arrival and why we celebrate his coming. This is why the birth of our Messiah holds so much significance. This is why we can join with the angels in praising and worshiping that peace is now on earth. That there can now be peace between man and God. That you can now have peace before God. That you can now have peace with one another. Right? The fall, it distorted relationship. That you can now have peace with one another. And now you can also have peace within yourself. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing or through faith so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That when you say yes to life with Jesus, your external circumstances aren't promised to change, but your internal circumstances are promised to change. I'm gonna say that again. When you say yes to Jesus, you're not promised for your external circumstances to change, but he does promise your internal circumstances will change. And when your internal circumstances change, your external will naturally be the fruit of that. 
But he promises, as we see here in Romans 15, to fill us with joy instead of depression, with peace instead of anxiousness, with hope instead of despair. How? Through believing. Through believing. Let's go back to the story, Luke 2. 15, verse 15 to 18. Now it says this. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, so they had this encounter. God spoke through the silence. He revealed corporately that the Messiah is now born. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It says that they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. You can almost say that the shepherds were the first New Testament evangelists that the shepherds were the first people to corporately be revealed that the Messiah was born. Now, if I was God and I was to reveal my plan of redemption, I was gonna reveal, hey, my, my, my offspring, my son, I'm coming in flesh, I'm coming to redeem all of humanity. I, I always used to think, why not just like tell the kings, right? Because then they could tell everybody else and everyone will just convert, right? Why, why not just tell the rich, because they'll have a lot of money, they can spread the news quicker. Why not tell the noble they have the connections? Why not tell the religious elite people trust them? That, that would be my first thought, right? Let's, let's spread the news to the elite, the rich, the kings. But God knew that humility is the key to faith. So he revealed it to shepherds. Because you can't lean into faith or dependency if you are not aware of your need. I say it again, that you cannot lean into dependency, you cannot lean into faith if you are not aware of your need. And so today, whether you know Jesus or not, I want you to become aware of your need. Every single person in this room has a need. Simply, to start internally. Every single person here in this room has a need. There are relationships that you need to forgive. There is peace that has been lacking because of pain that has yet to be healed. There's fears that have consumed you. Those are needs. And Jesus says this in his word, Romans 15, that God can fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, but you won't be able to access that if you are not aware of your need. If you think that you can muster up enough strength to live a godly life, then you're not gonna need the help of the Holy Spirit. If you think, well, I can in my own strength live a righteous, godly life because our natural flesh wants to be independent and wants to achieve things in our own strength. This is why it's so easy just to dive into theology, which I love and it's important, but it's so easy to, to dive into things that we know that we can achieve in our own effort. You, cannot, you can achieve knowledge in your own effort. 
but you can't achieve holiness. You can spend hours and hours and hours, which again, I'm not dogging, I do it and it's important, but you can put all of your faith, because faith is simply dependency. You can put all of your dependency in what you know, but that doesn't necessarily equal transformation. You put all of your dependency in what you can do. Well, I can be disciplined, I can do this, I can make sure I don't do that, and I can discipline my life as best as I can. But what's happening is your right standing with God is now based on what you can do, not what he can do, and what he did. (laughs) And when you live in that cycle, hear me, you will always struggle with not feeling right with God. Because your right thing with God is based on what you do. And news, news alert, what you will do will always fail at some point. And so if what you do will fail at some point, your right thing with God will change. But if your right thing with God is now based on what Jesus has done, who knows, Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever then your right standing with God doesn't change. Even when you fail, even when you mess up, even when you stumble. Because when God sees you, he sees Christ in you. Scripture says this verse that is so profound. He who knew no sin, this is Jesus, became your sin on the cross so that we would become the righteousness of God. How did Jesus become our sin on the cross? How did holy, perfect, spotless Jesus become our sin on the cross? He received it. How did you, broken, alone, sinful, become righteous? He received it. This is the good news of what Jesus came to do. So I'm going to end here in Luke 2. We're going to finish the story Verse 19 to 20. And we see the shepherds, they have this encounter. They run to Bethlehem because they want to see it with their own eyes. They want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. They wanted to see what God spoke and they saw Jesus. They saw the promised Messiah and they came and they were so full of joy because peace has finally come. That men can finally be right with God again. And they're so full of joy that they can't stop but tell everyone about it. This is what the gospel should do to us. In verse 19, Mary's sitting there, and I love this. It says this, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds explained to Mary this angelic encounter. And I love this. It says, Mary treasures, say treasures, and ponders, say ponders, what is happening. This is really important because 
Mary would have remembered what the angel had said to her, what happened to Elizabeth, all the supernatural encounters which had happened concerning the birth of her son. She had plenty of time to think about the word the angel Gabriel spoke to her. She heard Joseph retell his vision of the angel who said, call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so when the shepherd shared, you think she'd respond with, yeah, I know. Oh yeah, I've more, more encounters than, than you probably did, right? Oh, I, I, I've been there. I've seen it. I know exactly what you're talking about. But her response is so profound. It says that she treasured and she pondered what happened. To treasure means to value and to ponder means to dwell on. That Mary could have just heard the shepherd's stories and been unfazed this is something she was used to experiencing. Instead, she treasured it and she valued the beauty of the gift that is Jesus. Not only that, she dwelled on it. It wasn't just a fleeting thought. How many times do we come to church? <laughs> we hear the word God speaking to you and it just becomes a fleeting thought. I don't even remember what the Lord said. She didn't do that. She dwelled on it. She allowed the truth to move her. And I think so many of us can be so used to hearing about Jesus and hearing the gospel that it doesn't actually move us anymore. This actually shows that we're disconnected to the weight of what he's done. Guys, it's so easy, especially this time of year, right? You're ber berated with Jesus because it's Christmas but our heart is so disconnected, right? I give this, this example that, that Jesus' birth has become this like sanitized, sentimentalized, like Hallmark movie in our minds. But when you think about it, it's like, it's raw. It's dirty. He was born literally in a stable. The king of the universe was laid on hay, right? We, we have goats and sheep in our backyard, and, and hay is not really comfortable to sit on, right? It's literally dead grass, if you didn't know what hay was. Right, it, it's not this like, oh yeah, that's cool, Jesus came and he's, you know, he's born and la la la, oh, what do you get me for Christmas, right? We get so disconnected from the reason that he came. But I want us to be a people who value him and dwell on what he has done. Amen. And the worship team come up. And I want us to pray and I, I want us to respond to this. That we would be a people who treasure and ponder on the person and the life and the sacrifice of Jesus. So I'm just gonna quickly pray. Father, I pray that the weight of your coming, your arrival, your birth, your sacrifice will become so real and tangible to us right now. That we would become a people who think about you and are moved. 
that we won't be a people that are just used to going through the motions of Christianity, but aren't actually moved by who you are. That even in the conception of sin, God spoke a promise. Even in the conception of brokenness, God said, but I'm not done. I'm not done yet. And so tonight and tomorrow and the rest of our lives, so let us, let us see and treasure who you are. Can we just say, Jesus, we treasure you. Jesus, we treasure you. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I ask this right now, if there's anyone in this room, Holy Spirit, if you're moving in their hearts, they're saying, man, I want to be right with God. I, I want to feel peace with God. I want to feel peace within myself. I want to feel peace with my relationships. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken their need for a Savior. That we cannot achieve peace in our own efforts. We cannot achieve right standing with God through our own efforts. But it's only through your sacrifice on the cross that Jesus came. He lived a perfect, spotless life. That God knew, because God is just, He can't just sweep our sin under the rug. For Him to be just, there had to be a payment for our sin. The debt that we could never pay, Jesus came, God became flesh. And he took on our penalty on the cross. And on that cross, there is a beautiful exchange where God took every piece of brokenness, every distortion about God and about yourself, every peace that has been distorted as a result of your sin. Jesus says, on this cross, I've bridged the gap with his arms stretched. He bridged the gap of separation between you and God. And through his death and his resurrection, you can have intimacy and relationship with God once again. And this is a God who is loving and kind and close and near. This is a God who is with us, who understands every weakness and brokenness and pain, that he is acquainted with your grief. This is the God that Jesus came to restore relationship with, not a God who is far and distant and cold, but a God who wants to heal every piece of brokenness, a God who wants to draw you deep into real relationship. So Holy Spirit, would you just convict us of our need for Jesus? If that's you, I just invite you just to give Jesus your yes. Jesus, I put my faith in what you've done to make me right with God. I repent of my sins. I repent of trying to live this life in my own efforts. And I want to know you the one true God. 
and just tell him, just tell him, I give you my life and I receive yours in exchange, in faith. For everyone else, if you've already received Jesus, my desire this morning is that the Lord would just awaken a deeper, deeper, deeper longing for you to know him. That we won't just be a people that live and hover on the surface. That we know about Jesus intellectually, but our heart is not being transformed. That if that's you, there's a disconnect. And God wants you to know that you don't have to hide like Adam. You don't have to live in shame like Eve, that you can boldly approach his throne of grace in your time of need, that you can intimately know him. Because there's now no more condemnation and no more separation. Would you awaken us this morning? So let's stand. As we end, we're going to light our candles. you can go ahead and light the candles and as we do this guys I want you to think about the gift of righteousness that you have been given that you are no longer in the kingdom of darkness but you're now brought into his marvelous light that darkness is not a substance it's simply the absence of light that before Jesus, we lived in absence of his presence. But because Jesus is our righteousness, we can have access to his presence again and to know God intimately and personally. So as we close in worship, let's treasure and ponder on Jesus. Amen.